Welcome back listeners to another enlightening episode of Wellness Wisdom. Today we've got a topic that's not only essential, but could potentially change the way you approach your healthcare, mastering the art of effective doctor's appointments. I'm your host, Shannon Spears, and in this episode, we're going to equip you with the tools and strategies to make your doctor's appointments more successful. Whether you're facing a complex medical issue or simply want to enhance your healthcare experience, you're in the right place today. So today I have with me Bobby McGrath, Sarah Beaton, Michelle McCoy. Welcome, ladies. And as always, I'd like to start out our episode with our medical disclaimer. The information that you hear on this episode today is for educational purposes only. Please make sure that you are having a discussion with your medical doctor, nurses, things like that, before you do make any changes to your health care. All right. So I think the first thing that we need to talk about is really understanding the importance of effective communication with our doctors and our medical team. So effective communication between patients and doctors is not just a nicety, it's, it's literally a necessity, especially in today's medical world. Research has shown that misunderstandings or miscommunications can lead to delayed diagnosis, inappropriate treatments, and dissatisfaction. You know, a lot of times, you know, some of my clients, they come out of a doctor's appointment or they've previously had a doctor's appointments and they're like, well, I have this medication, but I don't know what it's for. And I'm not quite sure that I'm taking it the right way, you know, like because everything's kind of amped up when we're in a doctor's appointment, everything is so rushed and we're trying to, you know, just get through everything. And a lot of times if we don't have questions written down, right, like things go out the window, everything leaves our brain and we leave the office with more questions than answers. So why is this so crucial to really have that communication from your experiences? Can you share an example of a time when miscommunication in the doctor's office had serious consequences in a medical setting? How about you, Bobby? I can say that I was thinking personal experiences and um, I can definitely say that when it's surrounding pharmaceuticals and things like that, there are a lot of miscommunications. And I know just with talking with family and friends and clients and you know having three kids of my own, when when a person who is a patient or an advocate for a patient isn't clear on the actual medications, the dosing, you know, supplements that a lot of people don't consider as part of their plan, like, oh yeah, I, I do take that. And that's why it's really, really, really important to have that like super detailed list of exactly what you're taking, when you take it, why you take it, all of that kind, when you started it, those or things are really important. And then it's also important for the providers to be able to ask you and be thorough and not, you know, make sure they're taking good notes because anytime that they're, you're going into surgery, you're having a procedure, you're having symptoms or side effects, that's when communication breakdown can be very critical. It can actually be lethal in the, in the fact that there can be interactions and things like that. So I know um, I won't divulge with personal, you know, family members, but I know there were instances where people, I know my mom, when, when, when I was little, she was actually given two medications that totally were not supposed to be given together. And she was actually laying in, on our couch in the family room and nobody knew that she was, couldn't talk. Like she couldn't reach out to us to tell us like, I'm feeling this way. And I didn't know as a little kid, you know, at the time how bad that was, but as I grew older and now as a health coach, I realized that that was really not good until somebody realized she was not breathing really well and that kind of stuff. So really is important to make sure you're communicating what you're taking and doing and making sure your advocate that maybe goes along with you understands that and having it written down. And I think also miscommunication I see happens a lot when parents, parents with kids, the pediatrician, and especially when it comes to behavior, I mean, my experience with my oldest son is, and, and my other two kids too, is, you know, we had behavioral issues. And so we would go to the doctors, whether it was the primary physician, or it was a behavioral specialist or a psychologist or anything like that, like trying to get across to them what I was dealing with every day. And in turn, being told that I was just a bad parent and I didn't have enough boundaries set for my kids. You know, of course, this was back in the late 90s. Right. So, you know, 
autism and things like that were just starting to be diagnosed and come about and everything. And I knew additional testing needed to be done. I, I begged for it, but I was unheard. And I didn't know at the time that I had a right to choose really whatever doctor I needed to, right? So I think understanding your rights, which we'll talk about today, and then really going with that gut instinct, especially as a parent, to know that maybe you're not in the right space to have your child treated the way that they should be. Um, but in doing a lot of education and research for that, even with my my second two children having food allergies and everything, they went undiagnosed for three years because they all the doctors said, well, they'll just catch up. It's just a growth spur and they'll catch up. And it was food allergies. There was no way until we got it treated that they were ever going to catch up. You know, so very important to have that communication and, and really advocate for yourself. So selecting the right doctor understands your needs and aligns with your values is paramount. It's not just about proximity. It's about finding the best fit for your healthcare journey. Um, it's, it's becoming few and far between in some ways, but also more open in other ways. We have things like telemedicine now. So even if we don't have somebody close to us, but our insurance covers somebody who's halfway across the nation and it meets our family's needs, it meets our values, you know, we do have more options, right? So how can our listeners go about researching and choosing the right doctor for their specific health concerns? Sarah? Yeah, so there's many things you can do, and some of them you may already do, but maybe there's some in here that might prompt you to, you know, take some additional steps. Uh, first of all, identify your health concern. What is it, right? What kind of medical needs do you have? What type of doctor do you need to see? And then usually I'll ask, you know, family and friends with similar health concerns, or maybe they know someone and they can recommend them to you, or I'll check with my doctors. Other doctors that I have and then I trust, maybe they can recommend someone. Then I always check my insurance and make sure that it's an in-network provider, right? Because you don't want to have these additional expenses. And then I get online and I check out the list that I have of doctors and I check health grades, vitals. Um, ZocDoc is another one for patient reviews and different ratings. And sometimes I'll even go on like social media on Facebook and ask around like some like community, like in my town, does anyone know this doctor? What do you think? Um, and then if you need, um, a specialist, make sure you do your research and find the, the correct one. So obviously everyone knows if you have heart issues, you're going to go to a cardiologist, right? Because they're trained to treat the heart. And that goes for any specialty, maybe ones that are less known like autoimmune diseases. Um, but you also want to get on your state's medical board website and confirm the doctor is board certified and licensed, right? I mean, we had a doctor here in town that was, um, forget his name, but he was doing chemotherapy treatments on people, diagnosing them with cancer, even though they didn't have cancer. So I, I don't know what, you know, if he was licensed, not licensed, but that is an example of why you need to make sure that these people are, you know, respected. Um, another thing you can do, look into your doctor's experience and track record. How long have they been practicing and are they treating cases, you know, for what you are having, right? Maybe you haven't been diagnosed fully, but call the office, talk to a nurse, you know, and you may need to just go do an initial consultation with them and a few other doctors to see which one has the best experience for dealing with um, your situation. And then make sure their communication aligns with you. This is huge. You want to schedule a consultation, see how well they listen, explain things. Are they listening to your questions and your concerns? Or is their hand on the door like a lot of us have experienced and they just want to get out of the, out of the room, right? Um, so just trust your instincts there. And then check um, if you're going to need hospital care, make sure you check their hospital affiliation. I know in our town, we have one hospital that everyone goes to and the other one, which is closer to me, that's eh, not as good. So um, check that out, talk to other people about it. And then, as I said, talk to several different doctors to get different perspectives on treatment options. So not only are you picking the doctor that best aligns with this, the health issue you have, but maybe you have two that you're narrowing it down to, one would treat it this way, another one would treat it that way. What do you feel comfortable with, right? Make the best decision there. And then um, lastly, accessibility. You know, what are their hours, their appointment availability? Is it going to take you a year 
to get in to their, you know, for an appointment and then location. So for my situation, my son has an anaphylactic nut allergy and we wanted to go through oral immunotherapy, which is called OIT. And our current allergist was just starting to dabble in it. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I knew for years that there's this doctor who'd been doing it 10, 15 years, but he was 45 minutes away. And I always dreaded, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to go like twice a week, 45 minutes away, he's in school. I mean, how is this gonna work, right? We ended up going with him and I, I'm glad we did. I mean, it was worth the drive. It was a year long, twice a week, but the results have been amazing. So that just goes to show, right? Do your research, make sure you're seeing the best um, practitioner for your situation who's experienced. So that's pretty much, I would say, my tips. Those are great tips, especially when you go out into the public and use the community and your resources to check their backgrounds. Because, I mean, you're always going to have somebody that's going to want to put a negative review out there, but I think people yeah. can also read between the lines, right? Um one of the things that I would suggest people to think about is coming up with some qualities too, making some lists of qualities of the type of doctor that works for you. Um, every, every doctor has a different bedside manner, provider or whatever. And some people just don't jive with certain providers. So coming up in your mind with what, what's a good scenario. And I will say from the, the get go, you always have to trust your gut. Your gut feeling is there for a reason and follow that gut feeling. And if you're if you're getting the red flag or the whoa, kind of I'm not so sure about this, pause and you know, it, it, give yourself credit for why you have that gut feeling and ask more questions. But some other things to think about is call the office. Do they have? You can see on your you know when you're looking for if they have telemedicine. But telemedicine is huge. I mean, the one thing I feel one of the positive things that came out of COVID is that we can actually have more telemedicine with with providers. And I don't have to go 45 minutes. If it's not a physical where you got to do things and that kind of stuff, you just need to have a consultation. That's what telemedicine is great for. Um, do they use a PA? Will you see the doctor or are you always, you know, push to the PA, which are amazing. Um, but sometimes you just want to see the doctor. Um, the other things are, will, will they collaborate with other doctors and specialists? If you have a complicated or you're person that you're helping your child or whoever you're advocating for, if they have a complex medical condition, there's going to have to be a team. And there's certain doctors that need to, you need to interview them and be like, hey, there's going to be other people involved in my care. Will you collaborate? Will you get back to them? That kind of stuff. Um, also keeping an open mind on making sure that that provider is up on your conditions. So in what Sarah was saying, you want to go to the proper specialist. So you don't go to a conventional medicine doctor if you're trying to get functional medicine. And I know a lot of people do that. They're like, he won't do this test or he never mentioned this or that. They're not trained to do that. That's not where they're, that's, that's not what they're trained to do. And they're not going to run those tests because it's not in their wheelhouse. So go to the proper at least try to find the proper doctors and ask them, you know, how many people do you treat with this condition? Um, do you feel comfortable with it? I know when I um, figured out with the help of another doctor that I had mold toxicity, we had an open conversation. He said, I can help you with this, but this is not my bread and butter. And I said, I really want to find somebody that is their bread and butter because I want to get better fast. I don't want to be just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what helps. Um, and then also the other thing is, do they have a portal system? Some doctors are way behind technology. So the portal system is something that is very, very helpful for making appointments. Can you get in touch with your doctor? Can you leave messages? Will somebody get back with you? Those are questions that you want to ask on the front end and not find out after you've established your care um, that they their, their office, front office is not run really well. And then don't be afraid to make sure that you ask or you look into non-conventional treatments. Um, it's it's becoming more of a, an okay thing to do, but don't be afraid to just go out there and look a little bit deeper and try some alternative um, safe, where you feel okay and safe, you know, like acupuncture and things like that that are non-invasive and going those routes can actually move the needle for you. Absolutely, those are some really great suggestions from both of you. Um, you know, I know, 
even as health coaches, we've learned to get educated about certain functional testing, even though we can't diagnose, prescribe, or treat from whatever those tests show. But as health coaches, to have a better understanding of what's going on with our clients so then we can adequately refer them and say, okay, you need to go find a specialist who deals with this or deals with that because you're going to need a little extra help here. The potential could, you know, these results could show some more damage being done in your gut or this and that, right? So for us to have that education, you know, uh, and be able to do that is fantastic, which is sometimes why it is it's great to have a health coach on your side, to be able to help you find that that wheelhouse that you need to be in the doctors that you you can have on your team to help you properly. So preparation obviously is key to a successful doctor's appointment. Before you even step into the clinic, there's definitely some crucial steps that you can take to ensure that you get the most out of your visit, out of your visit. So what are some essential elements of preparing for a doctor's appointment and how can our listeners streamline the process? Michelle yeah, absolutely. We want to be as prepared as we can be. We want to be on the the offense and not the defense, so, so to speak. And so we want to be preparing ahead of time, not that, oh, this morning I have an appointment at 9 a.m. Let me just make sure I can get there on time. Now you want to be prepared. So I'm going to give a little um, list here that you can jot down um, on a sticky note or notebook or something so that you are better prepared for your next appointment. So this is really kind of um, what we call essential elements, because when you are more prepared, you feel more confident walking in. So first off, make a list of all of your concerns, any questions, any concerns that you have, anything that you maybe something that popped into your head during the week because you knew the appointment was coming jot it down. It is so hard to think of everything while we're there. And, you know, we might feel rushed or we're thinking of different things. So keeping everything documented makes a lot of uh, anxiety go away from that. So any concerns, any questions, it's going to help you to remember, take everything with you. You don't have to like take all your medication with you, but jot down a list of all of your medications, um, including like dosaging amounts anything over the counter that you're taking, supplements that you're taking, and then of course your pharmaceuticals that you're taking. Anything else that is relevant, if you've got some x-rays, test results, labs, anything. Especially if you are moving or have moved from one state to the next, or you're moving doctors, or you're just trying somebody new. I mean, just make sure you have everything that you can think of that you would need to bring, because that is going to it's going to help them. It's going to help your doctor as well make the most use of your time. And you want to have an advocate if possible, if that's possible, if it's a situation where there's a lot that you have to process, that you have to talk about, consider having an advocate, a family member, someone who can help you to recall the information that was discussed. Learn as much as you can about your condition. So I don't mean spending a ton of time on WebMD, Dr. Google, but really take a little bit of time and learn. Like if you have Hashimoto's, learn a little bit about that so you are armed with the proper questions to ask your doctor. And of course, you want to be on time. You want to be a little bit early. If there's any forms, you know, that they want you to fill out, you want to make sure there's no reason for them to delay your time there. Be prepared to ask or be prepared to answer any questions that the doctor might ask you. Your lifestyle, you know, what are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you, what's your healthy movement? What are you doing? What is your lifestyle like? What is your medical history? And you want to be as honest as you can, provide as much information as you can, because it's only going to help you. And then I of think course- it's also important, I want to interject here just for a moment. I think it's also important to realize that a lot of times doctors won't ask you about what you're eating, your lifestyle, your sleep, and it's a very, very important piece to your healthcare and what they do and some clues that it can give them about what's going on with you. So even if they don't ask, be prepared to provide that, even if it's written yeah. down on a piece of paper previously. 
I agree. I absolutely agree. As a matter of fact, I was in an office a couple of months ago and I heard a doctor, um, she's actually my doctor, my physician. And um, she was asking about this patient's, you know, what was she eating and everything. And so I was like, wow, that's awesome because you're right, Shannon. Like it's not usually something that they ask about or inquire about. So if we are prepared and we're like, okay, listen, like you're going in for weight gain or something and you're like, but this is, this is what I'm eating. I just, I want to show you like, this is what I've been doing. It's just, um, it can be humbling, but it also is very important and you want to be as honest as you can. So, um, and take notes, take as many notes as you can. If you need to record the conversation, you know, you can do that too. That's something I've been trying to encourage my mom with because it's hard, you know, for her to remember everything that is talked about and she can't possibly, you know, write as fast and, and anymore. So, you know, just ask the doctor if it's okay if I record this conversation. Um, you know, if you're not fluent in English, you can request an interpreter. They have them there. They should. And, you know, just make sure that you are streamlining this process as much as you can, right? You want to use the patient portal as even though I came into the portal age kicking and screaming, it is helpful. And so utilize it, know how to get in it, keep your password. And I also have paper copies of everything. I am very much pen and paper. So keep files, keep file folders for you. And again, bring everything that you need. You don't have to bring your medications per se in hand, but bring a list, take pictures if you need to do whatever you need to make this appointment time, time honoring, but also so that you are not walking out with more questions than answers. I, I completely agree with that, with the records and the recording and all of that, Michelle. And one tip, I'll, a couple tips I'll add on to what you said, which was a great list. And I hope people took notes, um, is if you are um, submitting records, whether it's through the portal or you're sending hard copy or however you get your records to your doctor, however they accept them, because I know you know, there's some doctors who are still wanting you to, to, to fax things and it kind of blows my mind, but they, they are, I have one in particular. Um, but make sure before you go to your appointment, you call ahead and confirm that they got them because it, the worst is to get into the office and they're like, we don't have them. They act like you never sent them. So confirming that, um, also confirming, you know, as far as whether the doctor's going to review them before it comes into the room, or are you starting from square one with them? Um, some doctors like to get the records and sit in their office and go through them before they ever kind of step into the room. But the appointment time, I guess, hasn't started until they open that door, right? But they have that pre-time. And finding that out ahead of time can make you feel so much better because when they walk in, you know that they've looked through your records and that they have some idea of a of, of baseline, right? If they don't do that and they're going to be sitting there looking through, either scrolling through their computer and looking at stuff, that can be a super high anxiety time for somebody um, if they don't know that that's going to happen. I know my father-in-law had that happen recently and he was just, it really sent him to the moon um, because he had done all this legwork, right? And tried to get all this information. And then, the, and the hardest part is that question. So what brought you in today? And you're just like, seriously, I have to start from the very beginning of time. So just, I mean, it's happened to me a lot. And I would say just the more prepared you can be. And one of the things that helped me with a specialist a couple of times with my daughter was I literally printed out my top priority questions and what my mission or what was, why was, why were we there? What did we want to get out of our visit? And that was front and center right there when we walked, you know, when the doctor walked in. So they know why we're there from the beginning and makes your appointment flow better because then they don't have to necessarily guess like, what, what are you looking for from me? Because especially when you get into the specialist kind of things, it's, you know, a lot of times it's hard because if they, they don't necessarily know what you're looking for and what you want out of them. Absolutely. Um, you know, I know since you said that, I remember I was remembering a time where there were some doctor appointments that I went in at the VA with my husband or with my dad and like 
the doctor, there was like an adjoining room. It was the doctor's office in between the rooms. And literally like he came out a couple of times and said, so, you know, just reviewed your records, just reviewed this and this and that, like he was prepared and it was so much different appointment rather than what I see a lot of now, especially when I'm at my sister's and we go with my dad, the doctor scrolling through right now and you're trying to talk like they're asking you questions and you're trying to answer them but they're not paying attention to your answer they're looking at the notes on the computer and sometimes like well hold on hold on and you're like i was assuming you wanted me to answer because you just asked me a question <laughs> you know so it, it can be very nerve-wracking and, and irritating and frustrating when that does happen um you know i want to just make a note on older parents you know make sure that you are going with them or someone close by that you trust, you know, um, that has full cognitive ability, you know, is going with them. Um, for a while, my dad was going to the VA and we were getting mixed messages of what was showing up in his notes on the chart and what he was actually telling us. And so thankfully my sister lives close enough that she became, um, someone that could go with him and listen and be that second set of ears to help him understand the conversation, what was going to happen next. And, and this is just kind of, you know, a path that's taken to, you know, some cognitive decline for him that we didn't see before. So, um, and, you know, I've gone, when I've been there, I've written down his supplements, written down his scripts so, you know, on a card that he can keep in his wallet so that any time that's on him, he can pull it out of the VA. He doesn't have to be you know, sometimes our parents, they're a little bit older fashion, right? And they will bring an entire bag of supplements with them to the doctor. And that's frustrating for the doctor because they're like, now I have to go through all this rather than just having that list. So yeah, some really great tips there, ladies. So now let's talk about what happens during the appointment itself. So effective communication doesn't just stop in the waiting room or sending the records pre. Um, it's an ongoing process that really requires active engagement right? You can't just go in the doctor's office and breathe a sigh of relief and, and think that they're going to take care of everything. So how can patients ensure that they actively engage with their doctors during appointments? What are some strategies for keeping conversation productive? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is stay off your phone, you know, unless you're using your phone to take notes, because so often, you know, when we wait for so long, you're in the waiting room, you sign up, sign in, you're in the waiting room, you're waiting a while and you're just scrolling on your phone or whatever. And that's fine. But once you get into the room, you want to be mentally engaged and really ready for that visit. So, you know, that's just a big thing personally that I feel like just stay off your phone um, unless you've got it ready on your notes section, if that's how you're going to be taking notes. But with that first person that interacts with you, it's usually the nurse or the MA tell them what your top concerns are. And I would definitely jot down your blood pressure. I would jot down, you know, any pertinent information that that person is giving you. Um, that way you have it as a record as well. Keeping a notebook with those top concerns, jotting down the answers. I, again, pen and paper, right? So I like to keep these little notebooks that, um, especially for our aging parents for them to have something that they can jot everything down with. And it's all in one concise spot. One thing that I definitely caution my clients about is keep the emotion out. So if you are beyond frustrated, you are fed up, you are, maybe you're coming back for a lab review where your labs have been drawn again. And it's the second time you kind of waited the six month time and you, you felt like your labs were normal. You were told, but you still feel like crap. And then you're back for that six month lab check and you feel even worse and you're extremely frustrated. I get it. Been there, done that. It's extreme, extremely difficult. However, Keep the emotion out of it. Just be very friendly. Compliment them when they walk in the door, you know, shake their hand or whatever. But, you know, just be really friendly, be um, warm, compliment them, like I said. But you want to kind of butter them up a little bit, right? And in, in a way, because you really want to make the best use of your time and you don't want them to walk in the door. Nobody wants to walk in a door and feel attacked. So we don't want to attack them, even though we're feeling it all anxious. And we know we only have maybe 15 minutes of this person's time. We want to still honor their time as well as honor our own and our situation. So keep the emotion out of it. Just talk about the facts. And this is where 
beforehand jotting down your information, your questions, your concerns make this process so much easier because you are in charge. I totally agree with that. And when you take charge of your own appointment in a humble, graceful, cheery way, um, and if you can't do that, if you're the person um, that's going to get maybe a diagnosis, you bring you need to bring somebody with you. If you know that there's a chance that you're going to be in an emotional state, bring somebody with you. Even if that person isn't medically savvy, at least they can just be there to like be a second ear, right? And one of the things that I would say ahead of time too, to jump on what Michelle said is preparation, preparation, preparation is come up with what your expectation is for that appointment. Don't overestimate what you can actually get done in an appointment. If you're, you know, set a goal of whether it is just to maybe get some or labs ordered, talking to the doctor enough to they, till they understand, like, I'm still not better. I'm still struggling with my sleep. I'm still gaining weight. I'm still having headaches. You know, what else could we do, you know, in relationship to, you know, looking, turning over some more stones and looking deeper into what, what do I personally need and having that expectation ahead of time of what your goal is, like I said earlier, but also kind of having a bit of a conversation before you even go into the office with your spouse or significant other or somebody so that you can actually verbalize it out loud before you ever get in the room so that you're not stumbling over your word or like a deer in headlights, they walk in, they're in the white coat and you're just like, uh, I don't know what, uh, how are you today? You know, it's kind of, you need to be prepared. Right. And that's why I was saying coming up, even writing something down with your expectations can be helpful. And then if you find out in your visit that maybe this is not the person, this is not your person that's going to help you take that next step and go to the next level. You need to be open with them about that and actually say, you know, I, I want to move forward. I don't know. Do you feel comfortable treating Hashimoto's? Do you feel comfortable, you know, with whatever it is of the topic? And if you're not getting that gut feeling that I talked about, ask them, you know, do you have a referral? Do you have some, uh, a colleague that's, you know, specializes in that? Or is there a different specialty that I need to go for? Because there's specialties within specialties, you know, and you can go to a cardiologist, but they may not be the person that's going to do um, defibrillation and different things like that. So making sure that you're staying open to like taking that next step in a confident way versus a scared way or a pissed off way. Um, right. You can't service me. So I'm going to head out the door and see around, you know, that's, right. that's not, that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. If you, if you are, you know, if you end up being that type of a patient and you let that frustration out and you let that anger out and that doctor is referring you, that action is going to follow you because the doctor is going to let that other doctor you're coming to know what your behavior is like, what your moods are like or anything like that, any actions that you have taken. So you don't want that to follow you to the next doctor that you're being referred to. You want a fresh slate. You want to be able to, you know, things to go normal and, and go move forward quickly rather than all these other things that might get in the way. So let's talk about advocating a little bit more for your needs and overcoming some common barriers. Advocating for yourself in a medical setting can definitely be challenging, right? Especially when you're faced with the time constraints, language barriers, or complex medical terminology that a lot of us, it just kind of goes over our head, right? Um, so let's discuss some strategies for overcoming these common obstacles. Um, we're going to talk about three things. Um, so what are some effective ways that our listeners, first off, can advocate for their needs during appointments while also navigating these common barriers like time constraints or medical jargon? I, If I walk in the door every time, I just always, when I'm signing in, I'm just like, how's the doctor doing? It's, you know, are they behind or on time today? And, you know, if you make friends with the front office to staff people, that it that's like, that's gold you know, in your bank. Um, if they, you know, feel like you're kind of coming in with an attitude, they're going to probably reflect that attitude right back to you. So finding out if the, is the doctor run behind, if they're running behind, at least you set the tone in your mind of like, okay, I'm going to sit out here for a while. Go find one of those good magazines or the ones that you never get to read and enjoy it while you're, you know, trying not to think about all the other things. Also make sure, you know, don't, don't set yourself up for more stress by putting 
an appointment on the back end of a, a very big doctor's appointment or appointment that could go long. Or, you know, if the doctor has a history of running late, don't bookend it with another appointment or something that you have to run off to go do, because that's only going to make your stress level go up and make you forget things and stuff like that. Michelle mentioned too, when you are in the room, I would highly, highly suggest to um, record it if you can. Um, on, I know on at least if you have an iPhone, there's a voice memo feature. You just click it on and you know ask the doctor, hey, I'm going to take this home and share it with my spouse or my significant other, or I don't always remember all the details. Do you mind if I just record the part where you're explaining things? Um, I know when I was going with my sister who had pancreatic cancer, she passed away um, last fall. Um, and I would go with her husband. I'd meet her at the oncology doctor's office. And I, I popped that baby on as soon as the doctor walked in because other people in her family wanted to know more information. And for her, it was an emotional situation. Every time she went in there, what are my lab work? What's my tumors markers, all that kind of stuff. And her husband was great too, but I was kind of like the information taker. And then I would kind of go through some of it and put a, put some notes together and share it with other people so that they kind of just knew what was going on. So don't be afraid to ask to, you know, record it because um, it definitely is helpful. And then also making sure that you know when you leave your appointment, you got to just really know if I have more questions, what's the procedure? Because chances are, if it's a high intensity appointment, you're going to have more questions. And maybe that's portal based. Maybe that's the, like Michelle said, the, the medical assistant, the MA, you just need to know what is the easiest way for me to get my questions answered quickly, especially if it's, you need to know to make, take the next steps. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really we're in this situation where we have aging parents as well. And, um, for me, I'm not close, like in location, like I can't just bebop on down and go to an appointment with my family member. So, I mean, it's a 12 hour drive. So really I can't stress that record button, you know, comment enough. It's so true. And the fact that, you know, Bobby and I are both talking about it so much, like you, you have the ability to record. And I know that some people want to get permission from the doctor and that's fine. I, nine times out of 10, they're going to say absolutely, because there's just, it's just the easiest way for you to retain the information. And then you can focus and on, on the questions that you have, you can focus on what that doctor's saying. And don't be afraid to ask the doctor to speak in layman's terms, right? I mean, the medical jargon, like, <clears throat> what does that mean? Okay, so you just said that I have a potential for this in my body, this type of inflammation. What does that mean exactly? Can you like put that in layman's terms? And that's not like, you're not needing them to dumb it down for you. It's just that you're not a doctor and that's okay. And they need to know that they can explain it and they need to know how to explain it to you so that you understand. So yeah, good points, Bobby. Absolutely. And when you're recording it and, and, asking questions that you don't understand what the doctor just said. So many people are afraid to not ask, right? But you have a choice. Either you ask the doctor while you're there, just kind of, can you put that in layman's terms for me? Like, what exactly does that mean? Or you're going to go home and you're going to spend hours on Google trying to research what that is. And then you're going to scare the heck out of yourself when it's more than likely not necessary. And you're going to be panicking, calling the doctor's office the next day saying, oh my goodness, he said this. So I have that. Right. So, you know, it's, I'm kind of the go-between for my dad and I, like I'll, I'll go and, and get his office notes from his doctor's appointments. And then I'm like, okay, so here's the gist of it all. You know, here, here's what's going on. That's it. No concern. You know, I know it's big words and things like that, but it's not a concern, right? Or if something is a concern, this is why they want you to have that test and whatnot. So I think with our older aging parents, it, it's even more imperative to do that just because of, you know, I mean, we have cognitive decline and, and they panic a little bit more when they get older and they're worried more. So, you know, it just, it, all of these tips can definitely help. So beyond advocating for your needs, it's crucial to build a collaborative relationship with your healthcare provider. And Bobby, you talked a little bit about this um, previously. So, you know, this partnership can lead to better informed decisions and improved overall care, especially if you're going through something big like cancer, you have an entire team. It's not just an oncologist. It is an entire team. If you have a stroke or you have to have stints put in, you have an entire team 
that you have to see for the next couple of weeks and, and talk about things and decide what your level of care is going to be. So um, how can patients work on fostering that collaborative relationship with their doctors and what benefits can they expect from this approach? Unfortunately, the ego that we all have, doctors have it too. And if you walk into the office or the appointment and when they come in, you already, you've already diagnosed yourself, you've already know what treatment plan you have, and you're basically asking them to just be a, just kind of, could you sign on the dotted line so I can move forward with this? Their goal, that's just like really not the best practice because they're going to see you guys as separate. And what you're trying to do is do teamwork and teamwork is I, I've sought you out or you are my person. I want to work with you. That kind of those types of team kind of things. Tell me, fill me in on your, you know, thoughts on this this diagnosis, you know, tell me what you think I have, that kind of stuff, but also being open to learning. And I think the more you approach it as a team approach, and then also being able to be comfortable of bringing up the collaborative question too, like Shannon said, you have, there's going to be a team, especially if it's a complex uh, issue of any kind with your health, there's always going to be a team. And getting that right out in front of just like, I just want to make sure you're comfortable with collaborating. I want to make sure that we're a team. I want I want to learn from you. All of that sets the tone in the appointment for the doctor to not have his backup, right? Like, oh, you know, this person's already questioning my treatment plan. This person already knows what they're diagnosed with. And sometimes they do, but I think it's it's really in the the way you kind of go into the appointment and your language. It's your body language, what how you speak, are you polite? Are you, you know, do you already have an attitude? That kind of stuff is really the kind of stuff that can really make or break an appointment, right? And make or break whether the doctor is going to make the extra mile or take the extra mile or the front desk. You know, if you're going off in the waiting room about a bunch of stuff, the front desk is probably not going to be your friend, you know? So it doesn't mean be a doormat, but it means just be assertive in a kind and gentle way and being clear with what you need and what you want. And if that's not what they're going to deliver, then you have all the rights to, you know, not come back and walk out the door and say, thank you very much, but we'll be moving on. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's important when we're talking about collaboration too, is, you know, ask your doctors if they will collaborate with providers outside of their realm. So like if you're in a hospital, generally they're going to refer to other doctors in the hospital. If you're in a clinic that does multiple things, you're going to refer to people in multiple clinics. So find out if they're willing to collaborate with another provider outside of that setting, whether it's a conventional doctor that you have a better relationship with or want to go to instead and your insurance covers, or someone like a functional medicine doctor, a naturopathic doctor, even a health coach, you know, that you want to kind of bring in on your stream. I think some of the best clients outcomes that I've ever had is those who their doctors were willing to have conversations with me, collaborate with me. And we worked together. I was working, you know, on the food and lifestyle while the doctor's working on everything else, but they could see the differences and they could see, you know, or, or let me know of, Hey, you know, there's this new medication. I'm going to put them on. We're going to try this, but here's some of the side effects and here's what we need to look out for. And, you know, maybe um, doing some nutritional changes can help them get through this, you know, or we need to protect their liver or something like that. Right. So those are been the best um, cases of, of client outcomes when I've been able to work together with the doctor. So all right. So the appointment doesn't end when you leave the doctor's office, although sometimes we'd like to think it does. <laughs> but what happens afterward can significantly impact your health outcomes. So let's explore the importance of follow up and continued advocacy. What are some practical steps that patients can take to ensure they follow up on their health care after the appointment? And how can they advocate for themselves in the days, weeks, and months that follow? Typically, the, the medical assistant or the nurse will come in with a, a visit summary and they'll print something out for you. Um, and that's where you really need to make sure if you were prescribed something that that's very clear what it was and you leave the office with the prescription or it's in your portal that they've sent it to the particular um, pharmacy. And those are the kinds of things it's really good to confirm before you leave. Did my you know, X, Y, Z, go to the pharmacy, or is this supplement that he's recommending? Is this the brand and the dosing? Just making sure all that's on there, your follow-up appointments made, 
And then also getting, asking like, okay, so the blood work that I'm going to go down to the lab right now and take, um, when does that come back? How, how soon will we get it? And then you also have to decide after the appointment, especially if there, if you are in a portal sister system, those get released now. I know, I'm not sure what laws kind of went into place, but they are now releasing um, make, uh, lab tests and things like that into portals where people can read their own stuff, which is great, but it also can cause a lot of anxiety. I know it did for my sister when she would get these updates and they would come up and I was just like, how about we not read the, you know, read what's in your portal right away, you know, because it can be, it, it, you're not medical, you're not able to interpret it and things like that. So you have to kind of decide, you know, should someone else read your portal information and kind of help decipher it for you? Or should you just literally wait and maybe make, you know, make a call to the doctor's office and be, if they don't call you, I hate that. We'll call you if something's wrong. And it's like, well, I don't know about that, you know, so follow up with those kinds of things. If you are a person that wants to just make sure, you know, all is good, um, make sure you follow up on that and then put those dates on the calendar. It is amazing how quickly six months can go by and you, you didn't even realize it. And now it's nine months down the road and you were supposed to have a check of three months prior, right? Especially if you are started on any kind of supplement or, or vitamin D, let's call it just that's you have to have a recheck to know if you are taking the right amount, right? And so a lot of times people just blow it off like, oh, I'm good to go and check the box. But those are the kinds of things that the follow-up is really where the, the, the nitty gritty work happens and you can actually have improvement in your health if you stay on track. Yeah, I completely agree, Bobby. And I am one for, again, taking your health in your own hands, being your own best advocate, ask for a hard copy of your labs just because they're in the portal. A lot of people struggle to print that out. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially again, like it shouldn't have to be so difficult. Okay. Taking care of our own health should not be difficult as long as we are clear, concise, and organized, you know, so ask for a hard copy of your labs, keep it in your file folder. And then also I would ask for the lab tests. So like sometimes you'll get, they'll say, well, your doctor's going to order these in three months. Well, I want a hard copy of that. And I also want to verify when I go in for my lab draw that these are indeed the right tests that, oh, wait, we mentioned this and it's not on here. We talked about magnesium, but it's not on here. And then you have time before you're sitting there in the chair and then the phlebotomist, she's like, well, this is what I have, you know? So it, it helps prevent confusion and it helps to just keep everything clear and concise and organized. Absolutely. Thank you for that, lady. So on our last section, um, let's talk about something that a lot of people don't think about is legal and ethical considerations. So diving into the legal and ethical aspects of patient advocacy, you know, understanding your rights and the ethical principles that guide healthcare can empower you to make informed decisions and protect your well-being. From a legal perspective, patients have several rights and protections. So informed consent, before undergoing any medical procedure or treatment, you have the right to receive clear and compre comprehensive information about the risks, benefits, and alternatives. You can ask questions until you fully understand what's involved. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Privacy and confidentiality. Your medical information is confidential and the healthcare providers are legally obligated to protect it. Familiarize yourself with privacy laws like health insurance portability and accountability act, which is the HIPAA. We all know it as HIPAA, which governs the sharing of your medical records by licensed medical doctors. Access to medical records are online portals, right? In most jurisdictions, patients have the right to access their medical records and reviewing these records can help you understand your health history and get kind of an entire accuracy and entire picture of, of what's been going on with you. When we talk about ethical considerations, these play a significant role in patient-doctor relationships, okay? So patient autonomy, which is ethical principles that emphasize patient autonomy, which means you have the right to make decisions about your own health care. Regardless of what a doctor is trying to push you into, you have the right to make decisions about your own health care. During this whole viral chaos that we you know, went through the last couple of years, so many people did not understand you have the right to say no if you did not want something. Even if your job was threatened, 
you have the right to say no. Your values and preferences should always be respected. If you are in a situation where your values and preferences aren't respected, that's your clue to move on and find somebody else. As difficult as a decision that might be, you need to do it. You need to advocate for yourself. Ben beneficence and non-maleficence. So these are healthcare pro providers are guided by the principles of beneficence, doing good, and non-maleficence, which is doing no harm. It's literally in the Hippocrates Oath that they take. Do no harm. Okay. You can engage in discussions with your doctors about expected benefits and potential harms of treatment. So especially with oncology for a cancer, you have the right to know absolutely everything that is going to go on in those treatments and how it's going to affect your body, whether it's positive or negative. If you are taking your children into the doctor's office and the doctor's like, it's time for their vaccines, whatever schedule they're on, you have a right to have an involved conversation with your doctor about those vaccinations, why they're needed, what are the potential long-term and short-term side effects, you know, and, and make a decision as a parent, trust your gut instinct. If your gut instinct in that moment is screaming, no, 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 don't do it. Then walk out. Don't do it. Your doctor will probably send you a letter that they won't see you anymore, but that's okay. That's time for you to move on and find somebody else. Advocate for yourself. Again, you have the right to say no. Do due diligence in educating yourself to have those proper involved conversations with your doctors. Okay. And then shared decision-making. Ethical practice often involves shared decision-making, whether it's you and your spouse, um, you and your doctor, your primary care doctor and a cardiologist that is following up with you, you know, you're making these decisions collaboratively um, on your treatment options, making choices based on your bio-individual unique circumstances for you as a, as a human being, an individual human being. Okay. When we look at the conventional medical system, everybody is thrown into the same box. That's why so much of it has gone wrong. You are an individual and you deserve to be treated like an individual, not like everybody else they've thrown into that box. Okay. So for our last question, how can our listeners navigate these legal and ethical considerations effectively during those doctor's appointments? Are there specific situations where understanding these principles is particularly important? Bobby? Well done on those words. I don't think I could have said a few of those words. And that was a lot. I've of gone that. through the gamut with it. You <laughs> did a like, great job. High five. <laughs> High five. So just a couple things. Shannon's done an excellent job, you know, verbalizing to you all what, what you really need to do. And I hope you heard the passion behind that because that's really what it is, is we're trying really hard as health coaches bringing this podcast to you to empower you, you know, and make you not fearful and afraid. And I think that's really what I want to bring to the table is just be informed, do your homework, ask questions. Um, don't be afraid, express your preferences. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a person that doesn't like a lot of, you know, if you're having procedure or whatever, and you do not like people to touch you and things like that, let that, let that know, let the person know. Um, but just making sure that you're communicating. Cause I think a lot of times people go into the institutions or they go into the appointments and they kind of feel like their power was checked at the door and they don't have that voice. And we're asking you to bring that voice as scary as it might be, bring that voice to the table and bring it up and, you know, really do your homework ahead of time so that you know, what are my questions? What, what are my preferences? You know, sometimes if you don't think about that stuff, you don't know. Um, and then when it comes time for big decisions, even little decisions, if that gut and that voice inside you, which I call as my Holy Spirit is saying, whoa, or red flag, be okay with getting a second opinion. I think a lot of times I've had, um, let's see, count, in counting at least four, it, four friends in my small circle have cancer. And when you get that diagnosis, it's like, you feel like you're like, I just need to get it out. I need to go and hurry and do this stuff. And it's like, slow, slow down. Let's, you know, get informed and sometimes get a second opinion or a third opinion and be okay with the fact that you're doing that. And if the provider has a problem with you getting a second opinion, then that maybe isn't your provider. So don't be afraid to do those things. Take your time, make your choices and trust your gut. Well said. Well said. <laughs> I've talked many times about should you fire your doctor and sometimes you need to, and that's okay. 
it's it's absolutely okay. So yeah, I would say ask for evidence as well, right? Like inquire about whatever the specific treatment is that the treatment plan is. How safe is it? How effective is it? You know, inquire, ask those hard questions, ask for that evidence-based result, and then consider other alternatives. It doesn't have to necessarily be that way. Ask, is there another way where we could get the same result, but in a different way, maybe an alternative treatment, maybe something that's a little more holistic or something that is a little um, less invasive, you know, just ask, have these conversations, discuss those treatment options, um, weighing the pros and cons, right, with your doctor, not coming in with an, a chip on your shoulder, but saying, how can we blend the, you know, that's what we like to do with health coaches or as health co coaches, we're blending conventional and holistic medicine, we're helping to bridge the gap between patient and doctor. And so you also want to consider those circumstances that you're in. Think about your lifestyle, your values, what is important to you when you are deciding on a treatment plan. And I know that for my daughter, when they were trying to get to the bottom of her migraines when she was a little girl, they were just medicating her. They were just throwing medication on her. And I would go home and I would research what these medications were. And they were anti-seizure medications. They were cancer medications. And I, I'm like, you know, like what Bobby said, go with your gut, go with that intuition. You know, we have been given that gift, especially us mamas. We have been given that gift of intuition and to go with that gut instinct, go back and say, no, you know, like I did, I'm not giving my daughter this anymore. You can't tell me what's going to happen in 30 years to her. You know, we just have no idea. And it wasn't working anyway. So, but you know, you have these rights and it's important to know that you do have these rights so that you feel confident each and every time you walk into that office. I have to agree on that intuition, that mama's intuition. I can't tell you how many times through the years I have and have not listened to that and learned a lesson from it. So very, very important, um, even with yourself. Adding on some situations when it's important to understand the legal and ethical sides of things. Um, fertility treatments and surrogacy. Make sure you understand these procedures, the potential risks of these fertility treatments, the success rates, the costs, of course, which can be huge. Also consider the potential for multiple pregnancies and the disposition, disposition of unused embryos, right? So discuss that with your provider. And maybe if you're not feeling comfortable with it, there's often these hospitals have ethics committees that you can talk to. And then if you're looking into surrogacy, work with legal professionals to draft a clear and legally binding surrogacy agreement, and that's going to protect the rights of both sides. And when it comes another one to mental health, including involuntary commitment, which hopefully is rare, um, consider creating a psychiatric advanced directive, which outlines your preferences for mental health treatment, health treatment in case you're unable to make decisions due to your mental illness. And then in cases of the voluntary commitment, involuntary commitment, legal procedures must be followed so you can rest assured that that's going to happen. Um, and then lastly, research participation in clinical trials. You have the right to access information about the trial, including its results, before you go ahead with this. So make sure that you understand the implications of participating, including any long-term commitments that you might have or follow-up requirements, right? If you don't want your information out there for everyone to see, maybe it's not the trial for you. So, and make sure that the trial you're considering is registered and monitored by appropriate authorities like the FDA or whoever else might be involved. And then we talked a lot about informed consent. It is required for these uh, research participation in clinical trials. And you have a right to ask questions and decline participation with anything, right? So those are some things I'd like to add. Good points. I'm grateful that you added those, Sarah, because those are very important points. You know, not a lot of people come across many of those, right? But it's even more important to write those down and remember them, put them somewhere. So if you do come up across those situations, right? You know, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin once said, the best doctors give the least medicine. And it still rings true today. Um, 
another, you know, Hippocrates quote is if someone wishes for good health, one must first ask oneself if he is ready to do away with the reasons for his illness. Only then is it possibly to help possible to help him. And sometimes that includes doing away with the doctor that's doing more harm than good. So there you have it. The keys to mastering the art of an effective doctor's appointment. Well, I hope that you have found this episode enlightening and empowering. And we have our North Star tip for the week. Um, remember, you are your own best advocate in your healthcare journey. Don't be afraid to ask questions, express your concerns, and seek a second opinion if needed because your health is worth it. As always, we're here to empower you with knowledge and insights. If you have questions, comments, or personal stories you'd like to share, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. And you can also check out our Linktree link that's in the notes below and for more of our resources for you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and please advocate for your health. Mm -hmm.